much. Appreciate that good humble prayer. Ask that we all continue to pray. Brother Paul Sabley said in his prayer, I believe the Lord's already been with us as we've sung the songs of Zion together. We want to pray that he will continue to be with us. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to the 62nd chapter of Isaiah, beginning in verse 10. Isaiah 62, beginning in verse 10. The chapter divisions in the Bible are not inspired. They were placed there by men uh, so we might be able to find appropriate scriptures. Uh, so sometimes there's a continuity of thought that goes along the lines of chapters. And in my Bible, which is a Cambridge Bible, the beginning of the thought leading up into Isaiah 63 actually begins in verse 10 of Isaiah 62. It says, go through, go through the gates. Prepare ye the way of the people. Cast up. Cast up the highway, gather out the stones, lift up a standard for the people. Here the prophet Isaiah begins by saying a way needs to be prepared. Now, that should be familiar language to Bible readers because John the Baptist, who was the forerunner of the Lord Jesus Christ, was called one that prepare the way for the Lord Jesus Christ and the coming Messiah. So he's telling here the people to prepare the way, cast up, cast up the highway, gather out the stones. When a way was prepared, big stones were taken out of the way. There was a, a pathway that was made to bring in uh, a royal ruler. It says lift up a standard for the people. The word standard literally means a flag. It's an ensign for the people. And throughout history, flags have meant something. The flag of our country means something to us because of what it stands for. And one of the things it's supposed to stand for is one nation under God. We appreciate that because of what it stands for. Earlier in Isaiah, there's a mention made of a standard, an ensign, that's actually a person. In Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 10, says, In that day there shall be the root of Jesse. A root of Jesse, we know that David came from Jesse, and the Lord Jesus Christ in the book of Revelation, toward the very end of that book, the Lord Jesus Christ would himself say, I'm the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. So the Lord Jesus would say, I'm the root of David, but yet I'm the offspring of David. He would come from the lineage of David, but he was also the God of David. He's the root of David. Being the root of David would also make him the root of Jesse because Jesse was David's father. 
And when Samuel would go to the house to anoint David king over Israel, he would go to Jesse's house because Jesse was David's father. So we don't have to guess who this root of Jesse is. In Isaiah chapter 11, verse 10, it's the Lord Jesus. It said, In that day there shall be a root of Jesse which shall stand for an ensign of the people. Again, that's that same Hebrew word. It's, it's a flag. It's a banner. It's something that means something and that stands for something. To it shall the Gentiles seek, and his rest shall be glorious. The end of the day, the Lord's our banner. The Lord's our flag. Sometimes we can have a nation that may do some things that we like or some things that are wrong, but I'll tell you this ensign, this flag, this ensign, this root of Jesse, this root and offspring of David, the Lord Jesus Christ is always a good standard for the people. That's why we as old Baptists would say that the Bible, the Lord's word, God's literal words are our only rule of faith and practice. He's our only standard. He's our only ensign. We continue there in Isaiah chapter 62. Now beginning in verse 11, it said, Behold, the Lord hath proclaimed unto the end of the world, Say ye to the daughter of Zion, Behold, thy salvation cometh. Behold, his reward is with him and his work before him. He said, salvation's coming. And this salvation is personified in a person, the Lord Jesus, this root of Jesse, this root and offspring of David, the bright and the morning star. And it said, his reward is with him and his work before him. Now certainly the work, the main work before the Lord Jesus Christ was his work on the cross of Calvary. And he finished that work totally and completely. And we're redeemed by his precious blood because of that finished work. And it said his reward is with him. Certainly because of what the Lord Jesus has done, certainly we have an eternal reward in heaven and a mortal glory. We have an eternal, eternal inheritance there where neither moss nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves cannot break through nor steal. But we have an everlasting inheritance that's incorruptible, Peter would write, that's undefiled and that faded not away. But I'm going to tell you, there's other rewards with the Lord. In addition to our eternal inheritance, as we walk with the Lord every day of our life, as we worship the Lord, as we serve the Lord, there are rewards with him. One of the definitions of faith, as faith is being talked about in the book of Hebrews, is, says that he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. See, some of the blessings from the Lord and some of the rewards from the Lord that we experience here in time are when we diligently seek the Lord. His reward is with him 
and his work before him. And I'll tell you, I want to be as close as I can to the Lord. I want to delight myself in him. I want to diligently seek him that we may uh, see his wonderful blessings that he bestows upon us. Said, and they shall call them the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord. And thou shalt be called, sought out, a city not forsaken. The people of the Lord are a sought out people. It's said in the book of Luke that the Lord Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. And I'll tell you what the Lord seeks for, he finds in Luke chapter 15, he tells, he tells that story, that narrative of a man that had a hundred sheep. And he said, will he not leave the ninety and nine to go find the one? He's looking for the one. Does he find it? <laughs> the Bible says he finds it. The Lord Jesus said he finds it. He finds that one little sheep that's gone away from the fold and he layeth it upon his shoulders rejoicing what the Lord seeks after, the Lord finds. And we're called a sought-out people. We're a people that the Lord found. You know, some will ask, have you found the Lord? <laughs> I want to know, has he found me? We're a people that are sought out, a city not forsaken. We're Mount Zion, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, the city of the living God. And what a blessing it is. We're a sought out people. Then he begins, again I think, in the same general thought as Isaiah 63 begins. Who is this that cometh from Edom with dyed garments from Basra? This that is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength, I that speak in righteousness, mighty to save. Remember, we just talked about the way has been prepared. And again, how John the Baptist was a preparer of the way of the great king that would come, the Messiah that would come, the Lord Jesus. And it's, it's just talked about the gates being opened, going through the gates, and the way being prepared. And it says, who is this? Who is this that cometh from Edom with dyed garments from Basra? This that is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength, I that speak in righteousness, mighty to save. The picture being drawn here is of a great conquering king coming back into the city. One who has won a great battle. One who has been victorious and is coming back into the city. What does he look like? He's glorious in his apparel, and he's traveling in the greatness of his strength. Now think about that for a moment. Think about the battles that have been fought throughout history. 
And even when we say in America have been victorious, when we've been blessed to, to win great battles, what's the pictures of the soldiers that they return? They've been blessed to win a great victory. But oftentimes the images we see of the fighting soldier is one that's tired, one that's haggard. They've won the victory, but their strength is spent. They've won the victory, but they come home beleaguered and tired. But that's not the picture we see here. We don't see that this victorious captain comes back with any strength waning. He doesn't come back in weakness because all of his strength has been sent. But he comes back glorious in his apparel. He comes back as the triumphant, glorified, strong, mighty king. Here's a picture again of our Lord and Savior. The Bible never paints a picture of the Lord Jesus as being weak and being without strength. It always paints a picture of him being with all strength and all might and all power. And here he comes. Now we see him. The, the, the question's given, who is this? Who is this? This mighty captain, this, this conquering king that's come back, he's glorious in his apparel. He doesn't look beleaguered. His apparel's not torn. But he comes back glorious in his apparel. He comes back traveling in the greatness of his strength. He's not tired. He's not beleaguered. He's not weary. But he's just as strong as he ever was. I that speak in righteousness. Here's one that's totally holy. Here's one that's, that's totally righteous. Here's one that's mighty to save. Here he is. Who is it? We know the answer to that. Our Lord, our Savior, our Master, and our Redeemer. But look at where he came from. He said, who is this that cometh from Edom with dyed garments from Basra. Edom in the Bible is one of the traditional enemies of Israel. We know that Edom was the place of Esau. We know that Esau wasn't a friend of Jacob. Esau got very mad at Jacob for tricking, for Jacob tricking his father Isaac and stealing his, his birthright, his blessing. Uh, he willingly gave up the birthright, but Jacob pretended to be Esau, and Isaac blessed Jacob as if he was Esau. And Esau hated Jacob. He hated him so much he wanted him to kill him. We see that familiar text in Romans chapter 9, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Edom was the place of Esau. It was one of the traditional enemies of Israel. When in Exodus chapter 15, after 
Moses and the children of Israel had gone out of bondage in Egypt and they've gone over that Red Sea and the Lord's parted the way and they crossed on dry land. And then the waters go back in over Pharaoh and all his host who's trying to pursue after the Israelites to destroy them or to bring them back into bondage. We see that Moses sings a song of victory. You can only sing a song of victory if you've been blessed with victory. A lot of the songs we sang this morning are songs of victory. You know why we can sing those songs of victory? Because the Lord's blessed us with the victory. We can't sing a song of victory if we lost. <laughs> but in the Lord Jesus, we win. When Moses in that song and he speaks unto the children of Israel and they're singing, when he goes over the enemies of Israel that are going to be afraid at Israel's coming into the land of Canaan, Edom's one of the ones mentioned. Traditional enemy of Israel. In 1 Samuel chapter 14, Saul is fighting against the enemies of Israel. And when it says... Saul turned to every side, fighting against the enemies of Israel. One of those enemies mentioned is Edom. It's a traditional enemy of Israel. Let's look at what Edom did in Psalms chapter 137, which is a psalm about the children of Israel being taken away captive into Babylon. Here's the people of God, the children of Israel that are in captivity. They've been taken away captive, away from their homeland and in a strange land, Babylon. It begins by saying, by the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down. Yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. We hanged our harps upon the willows in the midst thereof. Here Israel's in despondency. They've been taken away from their beloved homeland. They've been taken away from the place of worship of the Lord. What's Edom's response? Verse 7, it says, Remember, O Lord, the children of Edom in the day of Jerusalem who said, Raise it, raise it, even to the foundation thereof. What was Edom saying of Israel? Raise it to the ground. That means demolish it. That means make it naked, make it bare. Edom was rejoicing that Israel had been taken captive. When the children of Israel had come out of Egypt in Numbers chapter 20, they need to go through the land of Edom and they ask, can we please go through the land of Edom? The king of Edom refuses. And they said, look, we'll go way away from your towns. We'll take the high road. And Edom wouldn't let them. Again, the Bible vividly paints Edom as an enemy of Israel. So why would this one who's glorious in his apparel, who's mighty to save, who's in the greatness of his strength, why has he been in Edom? Why has he been in Basra? There were two, a couple of cities that the Bible mentions that were in Edom, one's Basra and one's Teman. 
And again, Edom is a place of the enemies of the Lord. Let's look in Jeremiah chapter 49. Here's a judgment being pronounced through the prophet Jeremiah upon Edom. Jeremiah 49 and verse 7, it says, Concerning Edom, thus saith the Lord of hosts, Is wisdom no more in Teman? Again, one of the main cities of Edom. Is counsel perished from the prudent? Is their wisdom vanished? Let's skip on down to verse 13. Again, pronouncing judgment upon Edom, the Lord is... For I have sworn by myself, saith the Lord, that Basra shall become a desolation, a reproach, a waste, and a curse, and all the cities thereof shall be perpetual waste. Verse 20 of Jeremiah 49. Therefore hear the counsel of the Lord that he hath taken against Edom and his purposes that he hath purposed against the inhabitants of Teman. Surely the least of the flock shall draw them out. Surely he shall make their habitations desolate with them. Again, judgment being pronounced upon the enemy of Israel, Edom, and their cities, Basra and Teman. Now let's keep reading in Isaiah 63 to find out why would this man have come, this great conquering warrior? Why would he have come from the land of enemies of Israel? It says, Wherefore art thou red in thine apparel, and thy garments like him that treadeth in the wine fat? I have trodden the winepress alone, and of the people. There was none with me, for I will tread them in mine anger and trample them in my fury, and their blood shall be sprinkled upon my garments, and I will stain all my raiment. Now we see the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. And oftentimes we have the picture of the Lord Jesus because there was two things that happened on the cross of Calvary. One was Jesus, the Lamb, shedding his own precious blood to wash away my sins and your sins. We saw that vivid picture last week in communion with that unleavened drink, wine. And what that blood represents, the blood of Christ, the blood that, that he freely shed for me and for you that washed away our sins. That's one of the things that happened on the cross of Calvary. Revelation would describe the Lord Jesus as the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. When his forerunner, John the Baptist, again, who prepared the way, when he would see Jesus coming, he would say, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. 
So Jesus on the cross of Calvary was our sacrifice. He was the sacrifice that my sins and your sins deserved. And he suffered there as a sacrificial lamb for us. But there's something else that happened on the cross of Calvary. This picture we see here of the Lord Jesus Christ is not him being stained with his own blood. It's him being stained with the blood of his enemies. On the cross of Calvary, the Lord Jesus Christ went to the place of our enemies and he fought the greatest battle that's ever been fought and he reigned victorious over all the enemies of the people of God. He reigned victorious over sin, over Satan, over hell, and over death. Now think of the way this is described. He said he's red in his apparel. Thy garments like him that treadeth in the wine fat. I have trodden the wine press alone. That means this was a one-man battle. There was nobody there to help the Lord, but he fought this battle alone. It was just him. Notice how it describes it. He tried in the wine press alone. Have you ever seen pictures or videos of people trying the wine press? There usually there's this vat of grapes, and people are literally trotting in it. Their feet are barefoot, and they are stomping on the grapes as they go through that wine press. That's a picture of what the Lord Jesus was doing to our enemies. Do you remember when Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden and, and the serpent tempted Eve and, and, and then Adam was tempted and they ate of that forbidden fruit and man was forever cast headlong into sin? When the Lord began to pronounce the curse upon the serpent in Genesis chapter 3, he would say, I'll put enmity between thee, the serpent, and the woman, and between thy seed, the serpent's seed, and her seed, the woman's seed. Now that's unusual language because usually in the Bible the seeds referred to as the seed of a man. But here it refers to the seed of a woman. Why? Because it's talking about the Lord Jesus who would be born of a virgin. His father would verily be Jehovah God. His mother would be Mary, but his father would not be Joseph. It'd be Joseph from a legal perspective, but his real father is God Almighty. So God would say, I'll put enmity between thee, the serpent, and the woman. The serpent's the devil. I'll put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head. That this seed of the woman, the Lord Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man, would bruise, would crush the head of the serpent. Said, Thou shalt bruise his heel. The serpent would bruise the heel of this conquering king that would come. Now get the picture. What's happening in the wine bath? Stomp, stomp, stomp on the grapes. And I'll tell you what the Lord Jesus was doing on the cross of Calvary. He stomped 
on the head of Satan. He destroyed Satan on the cross of Calvary. He stained all his reign with Satan and the enemies of Israel. That's the picture being drawn. The triumphant, glorious king. Said, for I'll tread them in mine anger and trample them in my fury and their blood, their blood, not my blood, their blood. The blood of the enemies of Israel shall be sprinkled upon my garments. I will stain all my raiment. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 12 talks about the great victory that the Lord Jesus Christ would fight on the cross of Calvary. Again, this is not a picture of the sacrificial death of the Lord. That happened on the cross, but this is a picture of the battle that the Lord fought with his enemies. Hebrews 2 and verse 14 says, For as much then, by the way, in verse 10, it's just described the Lord Jesus as the captain of our salvation. And in verse 14, it says, For as much then as children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death. He said that through death, through the Lord's death on the cross of Calvary, he might destroy him that had the power of death. There was a great battle fought there, and the Lord destroyed him, that is the devil, that had the power of death. And he destroyed him there. That doesn't mean the devil can't hurt you. You say, Brother Mark, you said the devil's discord. That means he can't hurt me. Well, again, the devil's described as a serpent. I remember a story Brother Philip Conley told. He would go out in the woods a lot with Brother Alfred Cothran, who was a, a member at one of our churches there in South Mississippi. I believe it was Middleton Creek. And Brother Alfred was a woodsman. He was a man's man. And he would take Brother Philip out in the woods and he'd just see a snake and he'd grab it and pull the head off the snake and tell Brother Philip those things weren't put together too well. But he'd tell Brother Philip, you be careful. He's, he's pulled the head off the snake. The snake's dead. But he said, you stay away from that mouth because he'll still bite you. If you get close to it, that snake will still be biting even though it's dead and it can still hurt you. That's the way the devil is today. We don't need to get too close to him because the devil will still hurt us even today. Even though he's been destroyed there on the cross of Calvary, the Bible tells us to flee from him, to resist the devil, and he will flee from thee. So let's look in Habakkuk, Habakkuk chapter 3. to see a little bit more about the picture being drawn here. said, A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet upon Shiganoth. O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years make known in wrath. Remember mercy. 
God came from Teman, and the Holy One from Mount Peron. His glory covered the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise. We're wondering why did this great conquering captain, this great conquering king, why did he come from Edom, from the place of our enemies? Why did he come from Basra? Here the other city of Edom is mentioned, Teman, said God came from Teman and the Holy One from Mount Paran, Selah. His glory covered the heavens and the earth and was full of his praise. We know Teman's a place of the enemy, a place of Edom. What about Mount Paran? What is that and what is the Bible have to say about Mount Paran. We look in Deuteronomy chapter 32. The beginning of the chapter. Excuse me, Deuteronomy 33, verse 2. This is Moses speaking to Israel, and he said, The Lord came from Sinai and rose up from Seir, which is a mountain in Edom, unto them. He shined forth from Mount Paran, and he came with ten thousands of saints. From his right hand went a fiery law for them. So he talks about the Lord coming from Mount Sinai. What happened at Mount Sinai? The giving of the law. And he rose up from Mount Seir unto them. He shined forth from Mount Paran. So here Paran is, Mount Paran is mentioned in the context of God giving the law there at Mount Sinai. And he came with ten thousands of saints from his right hand when a fiery law for them. So what would... Mount Paran and Teman here in this context have to do with the place of our enemies. We know Edom was an enemy, but you know there was something else against us, and it was the law. The law wasn't anything wrong with the law. The law is holy and just and good, but we couldn't keep it. So the law was against us. We see that kind of vividly illustrated there in Exodus chapter 19 where God himself comes down on Mount Sinai and God himself is there and the people aren't saying, oh, I want to get closer to the Lord. They're wanting to get further away. God comes down on Mount Sinai. He gives the law which they are guilty of violating. And the Bible said there was thunderings, there was lightnings, there was black clouds. It was a scary time. It said all of them trembled. Hebrews will tell us that even Moses, a man that spoke face to face with the Lord, as a man would speak to his friend, who was blessed to see the glory of his hinder parts. Nobody can see the face of the Lord in his full glory. 
Our bodies can't handle it, but he was blessed to see the, the hinder parts of the glory of the Lord, and the Lord put him in a rock. But even Moses on that mount, because you see, Moses was guilty of violating that law too. Even Moses would say, I exceedingly fear and quake. I'm going to tell you, you got to be real scared to be quaking, to be shaking. And that's the fear they had at Sinai because the law was against them. Nothing wrong with the law, but what was wrong with it for them is they were guilty of breaking it. They were afraid. So we see this one that cometh from Edom with dyed garments from Basra. He's come from the place of the, the enemies of Israel. But there's something else against Israel there. We go to the book of Colossians. We'll see those two things mentioned together as we read through these verses. Colossians chapter 2. said in you, verse 13, and you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh hath he quickened together with him having forgiven you all trespasses blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. <laughs> Those handwriting of ordinances, they were against us. That law was against us because we had violated God's law, which was contrary to us. This law was against us. It was contrary to us. What did he do with it on the cross of Calvary? He took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Who is this that cometh from Edom? Who is this that, that cometh from Basra? Who is this that came from Teman and from Mount Paran, from Mount Sinai where the law was given? Who is it? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, and having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Now it's talking about the great battle he fought against sin, Satan, hell, and death. And it said he spoiled principalities and powers. That means he was victorious over them and he spoiled them. When a conquering king would defeat an enemy, they would get the spoils of the war. They would get to take from the victory they had won. And here the Lord having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. So here, this one who's glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength, mighty to save, he has defeated the enemies of Israel and has defeated sin, Satan, hell, and death that was against us. He defeated our sins. He took all of our violations of the law and he said he blotted out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. 
That word blotting out means whitewashed. It means not only did he take the sins away, he took away the record of it, those things which were against us. And here the Lord prophesies of that in a wondrous in a glorious way. We see in Revelation chapter 19. Verse 10. Or let's go to verse 11. Revelation 19. I saw heaven opened. Behold a white horse. He that sat upon him was faithful and true. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. Here's an emblem of a, of a conquering king. Here's the image of a victorious warrior. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no man knew but he himself. He was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Again, that picture there of Isaiah with not his own blood as the sacrificial lamb, but with the blood of his enemies as the conquering king, as the captain of our salvation. He was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood and his name is called the word of God. We know that's our Lord Jesus Christ who John 1 begins by mentioning him as the capital W, word of God. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. And the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were created by him. Without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. Continuing in Revelation 19, it said, And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white, and clean. Out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress in the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. He hath on his vesture and on his thigh name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. King of Kings is in all caps. And Lord of Lords is in all caps. The triumphant king. Who is this <laughs> that cometh from Edom with dyed garments from Biaswa, traveling in the greatness of his strength, mighty to save? He wasn't a weak deliverer. He's not one that would beg those uh, to come uh, to him if, if, he would, if they would let him come to deliver them. But here's one that is not weak, that is not beleaguered, that is not tired in any way, but he comes glorious in his apparel, in the greatness of his strength. He's mighty to save. Who is this? The King of kings, the Lord of lords, our Lord, our Savior, our Master, and our Redeemer, our sin bearer, the one that bore our sins on Calvary's tree. And he's traveling in the greatness of his strength. You know what? We need to remember that he's the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. 
And the same Lord that's blessed us with those eternal blessings can bless us every single day in time. He can bless us in his church. He can bless us as we read his word every single day. He can bless us as we kneel upon our knees in prayer. He can bless us as we sing the songs of Zion. He can bless us as we listen to gospel preaching. He can bless us as we seek to serve him every day as we draw close to him, as we draw close to this one who is mighty to save, his reward is with him. His work was accomplished on Calvary's tree. May I stay close to him all the days of my life. May God richly bless you.